Hey, watch this. <laughs> Welcome to Amusement Sparks, the theme park design show. I'm your host, Andrew Spawn, and with me today is Jeff Ryan, author, uh, amazing dude, and I'd like to hear a little bit more about who this guy is. How's it going, Jeff? Going pretty well. We were having a little bit of problems with microphones before, and watch me pivot from that into a, an explanation of who I am and why I am here. I think I can do it. The year is 1934. And there's a man named Clarence Nash who can do uh, duck impressions. And he's been hired by two rival animation companies. One of them is called iWorks Studio. The other one is called Disney Studios. One of them is owned by Walt Disney. The other one is owned by his rival, Ub iWorks, who used to be his business partner and used to own 20% of Disney. They're now fierce competitors to each other. And they both want Clarence Nash to do his duck impression. And Ub iWorks wins, hires him first, for the exact same cartoon. They're both making a version of The Little Red Hen. And iWorks wins round one, which is that he's able to get the title Little Red Hen uh, like patented or copyrighted. So Walt Disney has to call his the, like, uh, the Proud Little Hen or something like that, or the Wise Little Hen. Hmm. Round two, they lose because the microphones are not working the day Clarence Nash goes in to record his duck voice. And then Walt wins round three by saying, I will give you a full-time job if you come to my studio and just do a duck voice. Wow. And that is how Donald Duck became a character for Walt Disney and not Ub Iwerks, and why you have not heard of the Iwerks studio, but you have heard of the Disney studio. How amazing is that? So just real quick, do you have Disney Plus? I know you're a Disney fan. Yes, uh, I am. Uh, I'm stealing a relative's Disney Plus. Okay, have you watched the Imagineering stories? I am watching that show. Yes, it's just cool. I like that they've got the Iwerks clan. Yes, it's made by Ub Iwerks's granddaughter. Exactly. Yeah, and his son is also, you know, one of the one of the uh, people they interviewed for it. But what a cool show! I, that show is fascinating to me. I, obviously, I like theme parks and I like Disney, and it's so cool to see their creative process behind the scenes and. Man, if, if anybody out there hasn't seen The Imagineering Story, I would highly recommend it. It's very well-made, well-edited, super entertaining, even for people who aren't nerds. If for no other reason, you always want to know what's behind the doors when you're, you know, waiting in the lines. And this <laughs> takes you behind the doors. You get to see what it looks like inside Space Mountain and all that stuff. That is awesome. So, yeah, you're an author, and your your book, A Mouse Divided, <laughs> um, covers, you know, that, that kind of battle between iWorks and Disney. Um and I always loved the uh, the Disney quote. Uh, it was something to the effect of, we can't kind of ha name a studio after both of us because it would sound like a an eye doctor. <laughs> it was like Disney Eyeworks or something like that. That's right. Their very first collaboration was called Eyeworks Disney. And uh, it went bankrupt very soon afterwards. That was back when they were still in Kansas City. Uh, my book, unfortunately, for the sake of this podcast, only covers up until the end of World War II, so it doesn't get into the theme parks. I was focusing on Mickey Moore as a, as an animation character and then as like a uh, an icon and a, a god as opposed to a, a character that you can see in a meet and greet. Those are all important and connected, and without the one, we wouldn't have had the other. Um, just literally this evening, I heard a, a quote on that show from Disney talking about how uh, when Snow White was finished or, you know, any piece of animation, it's basically dead. Like, you can't change it at all. And so the reason why he was so motivated to get into theme parks was that they can evolve and that he can fix them and improve them over time. And the trees will grow bigger and the park will become more beautiful over the years, whereas Snow White is the same every time you watch it. So it's, it's just an interesting thing to see that evolution. Yes, and that idea came from Fantasia, which was oh. originally called the, the concert feature, because it was so expensive to make the, the one Mickey Mouse cartoon, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, that he decided, well, we'll make it a feature and add a whole bunch of other A-list uh, cartoons in there. And then to make sure that people would go to see it again and again, they decided every year they would take out one cartoon and add in a new one. Hmm. which is basically the theme park model. Every time you go, there's one new ride and there's one old one that's not there anymore. Wow, how cool is that? And they didn't end up actually doing that because World War II broke out and they had a just horrendous system of trying to distribute Fantasia, which is to put it in like two theaters for a month at a time instead of putting it in 2,000 theaters. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I'm also really fascinated in the other book that you've written, 
Super Mario, how Nintendo conquered America. As a huge fan of Nintendo and you know, kind of '80s video games in general, um, and that's kind of the topic that you brought to us for our theme park we're going to design together. Yes, we are going to be talking about what in the wide world it could be if you decided to make a Mario theme park. Uh, spoiler alert for anyone who's not been paying attention to the news: Universal is actually doing this, and in six months we'll open it up in uh, in Japan. Yeah, that's super exciting, and uh, I've been kind of looking back on the, the history of this show, and the very first episode was Nintendo Land, and we were talking about the same thing, like, they're working on one, and that was, you know, it's three years ago, I think, um, when we were saying, oh, it's, you know, it's just around the corner, it's going to be pretty soon, and uh, it's, it's exciting, it's finally almost here, you know, I've been thinking about it for so long, but that episode, we talked about all Nintendo first-party games which was which was huge you know it was the first episode i barely knew what i was doing so um right so you hit metroid and zelda and all that yeah exactly and splatoon and so many little nuances but even if we try to zoom in uh it's a little bit like a fractal almost like if we zoom in there's just as much complexity talking about mario because <laughs> he's been in i think over 100 games it might be over 200 games um, either as a it's cameo approaching or... 300 at this point, wow. believe it or not. Isn't that amazing? So yeah, he's, uh, in a way connected to, uh, Mickey Mouse, you know, in, uh, in that very first episode, my guest Vince said that we were talking about Pikachu. He said, Pikachu is like a nineties Mickey Mouse and Mario was like the eighties Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, what a strange connection. But I guess that's kind of right. Like that's the mascot of the decade in a way. And they have some some similar kind of design elements between Mickey and Mario, in my opinion. Primary colors. Yeah, they both you know, have the gloves. Fun physics. The exact same gloves, right? <laughs> I have the, the Mickey mitts that I bring to conventions, and a lot of people assume that they're Mario gloves. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I love that on your uh, Twitter profile picture. <laughs> it's great. Uh, but yeah, so Mario is a big, big topic. Um, why, why did you choose that? Was it, was it um, inspired by your research on the book, or where's that love come from? Way back when, I wanted to make a coffee table book about the history of video games, and I found out that that's not how coffee table books work. Uh, an author doesn't come up with an idea and bring it to a publisher. Huh. A publisher comes up with an idea, like a, a picture book about Elvis, and then hires someone who can write the words and come up with all of the uh, all of the legal documents to be signed to publish all of these Elvis pictures. So uh, I had a concept, and I had done a whole lot of research, but I didn't have a book that I could put it into. And someone very helpfully said that you could turn this into a narrative nonfiction book, which is basically a book without pictures, but like you know, tells a tells a story. And I figured, well, if we're going to have to cut a lot of this stuff out because it's not going to be a picture book anymore, the if I keep talking about Mario, I can leave the most stuff in. And if you tell the story of Mario, you not only tell the story of Nintendo, you tell the story of most all the video games starting from 1982 onward. That's awesome. How cool. Yeah, it, it, he's a, a hugely significant figure in Nintendo in general, and Shigeru Miyamoto, who just made Nintendo what it is today. You know, it transformed it from a toy company with this kind of goofy uh, division of making some little video game systems into, you know, a, a juggernaut. Like, the Nintendo Switch is, is absolutely massive. You know, the, the Wii was a huge hit. The 3DS was a huge hit. Game Boy was a huge hit. All good stuff. Like, they, they've done so much since then. Places. And if we're trying to make a theme park of it, I imagine we'd want to have the park guests kind of step into his shoes, or would you want him to be in the same universe and they are um, kind of passers-by within his universe? This is a, a very existential question to ask. <laughs> like, what is the purpose of, of the Mario theme park? Because yeah. you could come up with, oh, here's a here's an underwater theme ride and here's a roller coaster themed like a flying level and here's a, a Mario Kart sort of thing but they all would have Mario as their main character mm -hmm. or do you want to try to make all of the rides tell one story is 
is the whole park one game or is each different ride a different game? Because Mario has different levels. And that's something I don't think has been done in theme parks before. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Huh. And and I don't think that the real life uh, you know, Super Mario World is going to be quite as innovative and groundbreaking as this podcast because they have to, you know, obey the the rules of actual theme park design with a budget and, you know, real uh, people who are going to be walking through your park and money and all that stuff. But we get to do it the way we want to do it. <laughs> yes. Uh, when I was writing uh, the the Super Mario book, in the end of the, the paperback, I suggested they should make a Nintendo theme park world. Hmm. And I'm not the first person to come up with that idea. But the book did did come out a while ago. So it, it looks like I'm prescient. But it's <laughs> it's more like, hey, someone should raise the price on on this item. And then the price goes up and I can say, see, I told you, I'm the only <laughs> one who said that. But millions of people are saying that. Right, exactly. For the Mario universe, you rarely see people walking around, except for in the newest game, the uh, Super Mario Odyssey, where there's, like, New Donk City, for example, is like New York City. There's just a bunch of regular, proportioned, normal human beings in that world, which is kind of weird for a lot of people, because Mario is, you know, this kind of short, weird cartoon character compared to them, uh, but they cohabitate in the same world. Is this the way you would see it, or should we... Should we give Mario, like, the Sonic treatment and try to, like, make him for our world? Or what do you think? I I think New Donk City is, is closer to what you'd be imagining because the Mushroom Kingdom, I'm – even though it started from the NES, I'm imagining the version from the Nintendo 64. And I'm imagining that like a, like a children's playground where you can run all around. Uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, when he was designing the uh, N64 and – he was using a technology called MIPS to, to make a 3D environment. He did not design the levels. He just designed environments and worked backwards from that. Once he had a great environment that was fun to run around and play with, then he came up with objectives and obstacles. And that's when he would decide to put all the, the coins and stars in places that were the hardest to reach because those would be the most worthwhile challenges. Wow. And, and in a way, those Super Mario 64 levels are kind of like... A theme park where it's just kind of there's fun things distributed throughout and you kind of have to just explore around to find all of those and and these kind of theme parks that we do usually on amusement sparks involve some level of of either solving a, a clue or finding little things hidden and that kind of can be represented by the coins distributed throughout the park and that's generally one of the goals of a mario game is to to get enough stars to complete a level or get enough stars to unlock, you know, this new area where you get to go. So there's always that kind of collectathon is the the term they use in, you know, like games journalism about that, where you're you have to collect enough things to move on to the next place. And I think these games distributed like with a, a fun level with just a bunch of interesting attractions spread throughout, uh, pretty much ends up looking like Mario sixty four or, you know, most three D Mario games. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if in an actual theme park, if we're talking real politic, if you'd be able to have any sort of collect-a-thon. Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be physical coins because then the first person gets it and no one else can. But yeah, it'd have to be something that you scan or something like that. But, you know, I think the people would eventually tire themselves out and quit running so fast and all that stuff. Kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to compare it to Pokemon Go because that's not exactly what we would want to go for, I think. But but. You know, no matter how excited you are when you first get to the playground or you first get to the theme park, even if you're a kid, eventually you'll get to a point where you quit sprinting everywhere. about weenies like the the hub of the spoke before i'm assuming you have we haven't used that term explicitly um and i keep waiting for that to happen on uh the imagineering story because i use that term uh i like to do this thing where i kind of show off my trivia knowledge in front of my wife you know trying to impress her when we're watching a documentary and i'm like they're gonna say this word in the next paragraph um and that was one they were talking about 
I forget the exact detail, but it was kind of the different levels of design. And I was like, the first one's going to be a weenie. And she's like, what? And then it wasn't a weenie. They didn't even talk about the weenie. And she's like, you're crazy. And it still hasn't come up. I'm on like episode five and they haven't talked about the weenie yet. But please enlighten us. What What's a weenie? <laughs> okay. So when you go to Disneyland and you see Cinderella's castle, and if you look from the overhead view of Disneyland, and that's sitting at the center of what could be like a... It's the hub, and all of the different worlds of Disneyland are the different spokes. That is the weenie. No matter where you are in the kingdom, you can always see the big central castle. And that's why all the Disney worlds have different castles, or the Epcot Center, or something like that, or the giant tree in Animal Kingdom. And that always orients you where you are. Precisely. And I assume that term is kind of like supposed to be enticing you to move in that direction, like the scent of of a hot dog type of material. Is that what your interpretation is? I'm assuming that Walt came up with it because no one else would come up with an idea that that stupid and juvenile. (laughs) He was a big believer in hot dogs. I have a whole chapter in A Mouse Divided about hot dogs, believe it or not. No way. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, and I really should have worked in the fact that, that decades later he would he would look at this big giant million dollar castle that's, you know, every girl's dream come true and decide I'm gonna call it a weenie. <laughs> the least appealing name in the world. Right, right. There's some interesting uh gender politics going on there too. <laughs> uh anyway, um so you're kind of talking about maybe having sort of an icon at the at that you can always orient yourself by in within Mario you know of course there's the castle there's the the castle and the original one is just made of of cheap brick and it looks like a like the world's status elementary school. so that's <laughs> that's straight on out yeah. and if you go with anything from N64 on it's just trying to ape the castles that you see in Disneyland and Disney World so that seems too reductive mm. i think it should be a flagpole because oh, the flagpole is, is so indicative of, of Mario, you could have this enormous flagpole that raises really, really high, you know, like 800 feet high. Mm-hmm. And you'd have all sorts of like like flagpole-related things at the bottom, like flags of all the nations around the world, uh, a strength contest where you see if you can, you know, hit the little weight all the way to the top. That's cool. I really like that. And, and even if we have other... Um, kind of iconic buildings like you know Bar- uh, Bowser's Castle, or if we do a version of Peach's Castle here, they could each have their own you know special little flagpole. I kind of like the imagery of a flag too because that's you know from the oldest games, that's basically the finish line. We finally get all the way to the right, like you've been trying to do the whole game. There's a flagpole there. Like I don't know, that kind of represents the Mario journey of of moving from left to right in a 2D game, or you know exploring the world in a 3D game. Uh, you're always trying to get to that flag at the end. Hmm. Yes, I. You know, I hadn't thought about how you'd be stuck if you wanted to to uh, to make a side scroller <laughs> theme park. You'd you'd be stuck in the same course. Everyone would go to the first to the second to the third, like you're in a cafeteria. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> My all-time favorite Mario game is Super Mario Brothers 3. And mm. the reason why I always said that is because it had an overhead map. It used to be you'd go from World 1-1 to 1-2 to 1-3 and then 2-1, 2-2, But uh, Super Mario 3 was the first one that gave you an overhead map where you could choose where you wanted to go. And sometimes you were limited because uh, you, would, you couldn't advance unless you defeated an obstacle somewhere else. But you always had choices. And that turned playing the game into visiting a theme park, where instead of trying to speed run your way through the game, speed running through the game is insanely easy because you just, you just don't go to the don't go to the, the alleys that don't bring you anywhere else. But now the purpose is to go to those dead-end alleys to see everything in the game. Very cool. Just like when you go to a theme park, you're not trying to go to two uh, amusement rides and then get out at, like, you know, 11.30 a.m. You're trying to get the most entertainment out of your day. You're trying to go to every single ride, sometimes wow. multiple times, if you really like it. I also really love the art style of that map and the map from uh, Super Mario World, like... Those were two two early examples in my life when I was like, man, video game art is so cool. Um, just, you know, the side-scrolling Mario games, they look nice, but those maps are just really, really well designed to me. It might be cool to try to try to recreate that in a way, you know, you know you, a physical space you can walk around in. And then, you know, when you would get to the little kind of circle on your, your map you're moving around, almost like a board game, 
maybe there's an elevator that like that little circular shape you stand on it and then it takes you down to the actual attraction or to that that level that world that shop you know whatever space you stopped on on the board or on the map you actually get to travel into that place like you do in the game you know in the game you stand on it and you click a and it takes you into that world but we'd have to make that a more physical thing because people are physical (laughs) okay in the restrooms in this hypothetical super mario park do the toilets look like uh giant green (laughs) tubes i was curious if that's where you're gonna go with that because that is a very uh confusing thing i have never seen a single toilet in the Mario universe, um, I haven't played Super Mario Odyssey, so there might be a toilet in there. It does seem the most uh, realistic, you know, portrayal. But I don't know. Maybe that's why Mario has so much time to explore. He's not getting any calls. He doesn't have any work to do. There are no toilets. There's no the toilets. Park. These people, uh, I mean, they eat. They at least eat, you know, mushrooms and stuff. Hmm. So maybe that's just processed as uh, powers or, or one-ups or, hmm. Matter and energy work a little differently, too, because, you know, you eat a mushroom and suddenly you're twice as tall. Uh, so that's kind of a weird one. I like how this this somehow this podcast has turned into do things poop in the Mario world. <laughs> we, we the fans demand answers. Um, <laughs> well, because I love the green pipe motif, you know, and I, I love the idea of that for a playground. Like, that's pretty obvious, but. Uh, it also could be used as doorways. I'm sure they'll do that at, at the actual Super Mario, uh, you know, theme park. They'll have that as as like an archway type thing. Um, but yeah, it would be really cool to have a toilet that's shaped like that. Although probably not very comfortable. Maybe I can't really picture that with just a toilet seat on top. It loses some of the appeal. Hmm. It's also not a very efficient toilet if it's just a huge cylinder going straight down. But we can definitely work in those motifs into the plumbing and. Uh, into all of our water-related areas. <laughs> now, most Mario games have a water level. Uh, you could have a water theme park attached or like a log flume ride, but I, there's no way that you can actually get people in a bathing suit to, to jump in the water. There's just, there's just too much health hazard involved there. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and, and those games require you know swimming really deep underwater and We'd have to uh, maybe make it a little bit more kid-friendly, too, and shallower. But I do like the idea of having having some water attractions. Like you said, a, a log flume or like a splash, pla- a splash pad, which is one of those water playgrounds, um, could definitely work. Hmm. Oh, with the big bucket that tips over every couple of minutes. Yeah, those things are fun, aren't they? Uh, and you could theme it to whatever you want to. You know, if that's kind of the little kid's area, it could be kind of like you know, the Koopalings or, or Baby Bowser, um, or or even like Baby Mario, Baby Yoshi, or Baby Mario and Baby Luigi. It'd be kind of a fun fun theme too. There's so much cute stuff within the Mario universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now we ha- we haven't hit on well, like the one of the main problems with Super Mario World as distinct from Super Nintendo World, which is that Mario himself has many franchises and many supporting characters. Do we want Mario the theme of every one of these rides, or do we only want to give Mario one ride and all of supporting cast gets the rest? Wow, I like the idea of the equality there, but I would also say that Mario is the the tent pole that kind of that's the weenie that got everyone to drive their cars to this theme park, I assume. Yeah. So, hmm, it's a good question. There's a lot of interesting characters in this world, and maybe it could be like uh if we want to do each attraction as its own game or representing a different game, then Mario and the other players or other characters get representation within each of those. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think it'd be good to uh, get everyone to take a break from saying Super Mario all the time. Maybe just because the theme park is called Super Mario something, every ride yeah, has that name kind of scrubbed from it. It's just, okay, we already know it's Super Mario related. Let's just zoom into what is this attraction. Um, Mario Kart, though, should be an attraction. That'd be really cool. And, uh, by the way, the my co-host on our other podcast, the Giant Lands podcast, he actually worked on designing the real-life you know, Mario Kart attraction, which is pretty crazy, and I'm excited to see that in real life. But 
uh, you know, small world, pretty crazy. But yeah, I think we should definitely represent Mario Kart in some way. That's one that allows players to pick, uh, you know, within when you're playing the game, you get to pick between a lot of characters, not quite as many as in, you know, Super Smash Brothers or something, but you do get to express yourself a little bit more, customize your vehicle, choose your player. It's kind of a fun experience. Not everyone has to be Mario here. <laughs> Imagine the different lands breaking out if we're going to go with like the the land or island or world concept oh man i'm not sure because there's so many different settings for these games i didn't really realize it until i started doing research for this show but so many of the games are set in different settings like obviously there's mushroom kingdom but there's multiple versions of that uh there's dinosaur island there's subcon which is from uh super mario brothers 2 which is the one that was actually Doki Doki Panic in Japan. That's right. So our version of that is is explained away as it's it's Mario's subconscious. He's dreaming. It's the the world is called Subcon. Uh, then there's Isle Delfino. There's Sarasa Land from Mario Land. There's the kingdom from Wario Land, which was where Mario had his own kind of island built to his you know liking, and then Wario took it over. And then there's also outer space from, you know, the Mario Galaxy games. And there's also a lot of kind of time travel things that have happened. Uh, for example, when Mario and Luigi meet baby Mario and Luigi. There's So there is so much potential setting that we could explore here that it kind of is insane. Uh, and this should really maybe be its own podcast show, not just episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't even remember some of those <laughs> well hey to be fair i wrote those down after uh listening to uh someone on youtube go over the lore of of uh mario or maybe it was the timeline i watched a couple videos and there's some good content out there folks uh good wholesome fun but yeah it's it's a a fascinating uh exploration on well, for one thing why you know when you have this one the mushroom kingdom has so many diverse elements this kind of started or to my mind, started the trope of, yes, every video game world has to have an ice level, a lava level, underwater level, dark level, you know. There's all these different, uh, you know, typical, you know, findings that you find in every video game world to make the levels diverse. So, like, why do you have to keep adding new, you know, new universes to this when we could just add more realms within? But I don't know. It's It's interesting to see how extremely diverse things have gotten over the different you know, Mario universes, if you want to call them that. Um, like Isle Delfino having that kind of, you know, island kind of vibe. Um, Sarasa Land has like kind of an Egyptian area. And then, of course, there's just the classic ones from, you know, regular Super Mario Brothers, um, which is already a very diverse assortment. So in the interest of not being too exhaustive, maybe we should kind of pare it down a little bit to have, you know, an ice area, kind of a water area. I don't know if fire is the right word for it, but like the desert levels and then kind of a nice neutral. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a huge amount of overlap and I think we should focus more on, on terrain itself. I like the idea of, of uh, dinosaur land, but that's copying multiple existing theme parks by having their own dinosaur land. But, but you've got to give Yoshi some credit. Yeah, Yoshi's great, and I love the uh, the different colored Yoshis and like you know getting the, hatching them out of the eggs. That could be its own kind of cute collectible if you're trying to collect all the different you know colors or patterns of Yoshi eggs, and then maybe you can go to a station and trade them in for like a plush or maybe some ability. Like if you want to go on this ride attraction, you have to bring a Mario egg, and that's like your your kind of entrance token. So you have to go explore the park until you find a Yoshi egg. I said Mario egg, didn't I? Uh, you have to go find a Yoshi egg and bring it to get into this attraction. And then you get to go on the attraction where you ride on Yoshi's back. And, you know, maybe you're like aiming eggs to shoot just like you do in, uh, what's that game called? Yoshi's Island. Uh, some other kind of shooting type attractions we could do if we wanted to. There's a game called Mario's Bombs Away. And then there's also, uh, I think it's called Mario Pinball World. There's some games where you have have projectiles that you're working with. Uh, or also the Flood from 
from uh, Super Mario. Man, there's so many. We're saying the word Super Mario a bajillion times on this podcast. Um, the one with the squirt gun. <laughs> that's that's one of the the problems with Marioing everything up. You gotta you gotta keep Mario just in one area. In fact, maybe he shouldn't be in any of the rides at all. There are no Mickey Mouse rides at, at Disney. He's a character that you can meet, and he shows up in some of the attractions, but he's not. There are no like rides about him. That's a great point. Maybe there's you know a little Mario within each of us, um, but there's not one explicit. Mario. Although, I don't know. Do we want to have him as a walk-around character? I think you need to wait in line in a special pavilion to meet Mario, along with all of the other cool uh, main core cast members. That would be really cool to have, you know, good actors portraying them. And uh, There's so many colorful characters, too. The designs are so fun. Oh, speaking of colorful, the monorail has got to be called Rainbow Road. Oh, yes! That's awesome. The iconic uh, Mario Kart level. That's super hard, by the way, if you're trying to play competitively. I love that. Yeah, so maybe the monorail could be like uh, one of those people movers and it moves at like 65 miles an hour and there's no rails. So you just get on and, <laughs> and hold on to each other for dear life and you, you fall off uh, near where you want to be. Yeah, that'd be kind of funny if like, you know, someone pulls the thing like on a bus saying like, hey, next stop, please. And the uh, the way it's kind of, depicted is that the the vehicle you're in falls off the track and kind of you know it's not an actual free fall or anything but it's just like a a big ramp so there's a little bit of like a thrill moment and then it slowly you know stops in in your your neck of the woods we haven't given anything to donkey kong yet oh yeah donkey kong was around before uh mario was i mean Jumpman was there for like half a second (laughs) yeah 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 that's true i i always thought that it'd be cool to have a uh donkey kong inspired kind of obstacle course sort of in the you know ninja warrior vein where there maybe you actually are jumping over barrels you're doing this this pretty difficult obstacle course trying to get to the top without getting hit by a barrel and they don't need to hurt you they don't need to kill you or anything but we could just do like maybe if they detect that they've hit someone you know they they change a color and you're kind of eliminated from the game or whatever so you literally have to jump over them I do think they'd want to be smaller, you know, maybe a foot and a half in diameter because it would be absolutely exhausting doing hurdles, running up up slopes um, incessantly. It would be pretty exhausting for anybody. What if Donkey Kong was the the roller coaster? Ooh. Because roller coasters always have like these big aggressive alpha male names. Yeah, that's Donkey true. Kong works. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Very true. And would this be based on the the original kind of arcade game, or based on another appearance of his? You you would be in like a the everything would look like barrels, and <laughs> you would be rolling all around as if you were in a barrel that was barreling down oh, the wow. slope. That's great. In Nintendo Land for Wii U, there is a Donkey Kong inspired level. Uh, it's not super Donkey Kong-ish, but you're controlling this this vehicle. It basically has two wheels and like kind of an egg. I think it's literally an egg suspended in the center. And you're moving around basically like a roller coaster track, but it has a lot of gaps in it. And you have to control carefully to get enough momentum to ramp off and land in the next safe area, but not so much momentum that you smash into the wall and your egg breaks. But basically, it looks a lot like a roller coaster like temple of doom um yeah i guess so and uh it kind of has like the girder kind of look like that original you know level so we could just do a steel coaster that's just red like the go- the girders and then you know have the donk uh donkey kong donkey kong obviously but what i was trying to say was have a barrel motif to you know the seats are shaped like barrels and maybe there's some extra spins as if you're in a barrel that could be really fun oh yes they could spin around yeah like your seats perfect yeah can spin 360 degrees maybe oh man people would get so sick on that and then they'd barf on each other because they can spin independently from one another (laughs) we just have to make the the coaster fast enough that uh the vomit would actually there's no way to guarantee it is there Hmm. um maybe everyone has a control the spin right maybe everyone has like a mask on their face that just captures captures all the vomit uh that's perfect easy solution In in twenty seconds, you maybe not want to ride on that roller coaster you just designed. <laughs> yeah, well, um, 
You're totally right. That sounds disturbing. But maybe it won't be the most breakneck speed. Um, yeah, maybe it could just be even a relatively gentle coaster. Like imagine something such as the you know, classic Viking ship ride where there's a little bit of thrill there, but nothing insane. But if you were sitting on a, you know, a bar stool that spun 360 degrees on a Viking ship, like that would be actually pretty crazy. So maybe we could do something like that, a little gentler than a real thrill attraction, but representing the barrel's path in the Donkey Kong experience. Oh, that's fun. We haven't given anything to Toad yet. Toad's been around for uh, for a while since Super Mario 2. So I I I hate to say it, but I think Toad needs an attraction. I love Toad. I um we would always kind of fight over who got to be Toad in the uh, new Super Mario Brothers Wii game. Just cuz he's so cute and he makes all these like funny little noises and uh Captain Toad Treasure Tracker is a great little game. Um, my wife and I still to this day, when we're going to go out and do something fun on the weekend, one of us will go, ready for adventure, which is like what he says when you start a level, his cute little voice saying ready for adventure is uh, part of our life now. So yeah, I'd love to do that. Something for Toad. He's kind of underrepresented. Now, one thing I always looked forward to with, uh, with a Nintendo theme park, and I'm hoping they'll incorporate some of this, is working in actual gameplay and role-playing elements to each individual uh, person going through this ride. So it's not just collecting points, but it's collecting different items. So maybe in the, the course of three minutes, even if you're even if you're in a, a car being, you know, put through on a rail, you have a bunch of choices that you can make that that doesn't just increase your total score, but there's different chase objects to get, and certain things unlock later on in the round if you do stuff earlier. Cool, I like that, and I, I like the uh, sort of mini games that appear in these in these games a lot, where you can earn extra power ups. So maybe that could be kind of an ongoing experience is is this kind of uh i don't want to say casino but i would say mini games tying it in with say mario party for example which it functions kind of like a casino in a way um where you're going around gathering currency and then you kind of spend some of that currency and you can play a game and that can allow you to get these more rare items you know a yoshi egg or uh the tanuki suit or you know whatever kind of little power-ups um and those can be represented by the shops found throughout the map where a lot of times you'll have to play a little mini game to get something good. Like a, even if it's just a simple like matching game, but we could make it an arcade game or or an experience or a challenge or the thing with the hammer, you know, hit this up the flagpole and make the bell ding at the top and you get you know, an invincibility star. You get some kind of cool little token. Um and I know this may sound like this theme park is totally all over the place and crazy, but hey, you know what world this is, right? This is the Super Mario world. Um, and every single one of these games is kind of off the wall. It's not like they, they start out with a uh, totally believable storyline um, where Mario is you know, just going to another day at the office. That's never happened once. I don't think this guy's ever gone and clocked into his job because he's always getting sucked away through some other pipe to some other universe uh, to go do some random, crazy, colorful, cartoony stuff. So that's what this theme park is going to feel like. You could argue that the original Mario Brothers, where he's in a basement and there's crabs coming out of a giant pipe and he needs to clonk them over the head, <laughs> that that is his day at work. Yeah. And in his version of Brooklyn, this is what plumbing is. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because that's not set in the Mushroom Kingdom, I believe, technically. That's just good old real-life New York, uh, yeah. as, as seen in the, the movie, right? Um... <laughs> oh, yes, that, uh, that 1993 documentary Super Mario Brothers starring Bob Hoskins. <laughs> I would say by this point, Mario's resume is largely saving a new kingdom from a, a diverse set of enemies set in a diverse set of levels. Um, so he's pretty good at that. And people going to this park want to go through that experience. And it's not going to make a ton of sense. And most of the theme parks we design have a general narrative that the park guests gets to kind of role play th throughout. Whereas this is going to be a lot more zany and maybe feel more like a traditional theme park where it's like hey look at this big crazy thing let's go over there um and there doesn't necessarily need to be a story explanation for everything 
it's just fun, it's cohesive, it fits together, and you're furthering your own quest to get more power-ups, get more stars, get more of these different currencies. And maybe you're always aiming towards saving someone, like that's generally the the simplified, uh, typical story. Generally, it's Peach, but we could maybe set that up a little differently. As you enter the park, um, maybe you get a letter and it's from a randomized character. You know, Toadette writes you a letter saying, oh, you know, uh, I'd love to meet you at this place. Like, let's be friends or whatever. And you go there and you find out, oh, no, Toadette's been kidnapped. Or we could really flip it on its head and maybe everyone who gets through the park gets a letter from Mario saying, hey, uh, this is my kingdom. Come come like uh, hang out, let's get dinner or whatever. And you go there and he's been kidnapped. It's like, oh crap, Mario's kidnapped. Everyone in the kingdom has to band together to try to save him or yeah, or however you want to do it. You could pick your own uh, you know, friend or romantic interest or however weird you want to get with this. Uh, and then they've been kidnapped by some kind of bad guy and you got to go find him. I'm seeing a real line maintenance problem <laughs> with uh, with executing this. I I like the concept, but I don't know how it how it would work if each individual person gets this one on one encounter, even if it's with just with a a screen of a Mario cartoon talking. How many screens would you need in order <laughs> to make sure that it wasn't a twenty minute wait just to watch a video before you could officially go into the park? That's a great point. Um, maybe as you're entering, uh, when they hand you, you know, your little wristband or whatever, they also hand you a letter like, oh, this came for you in the mail. And so everyone just gets that as they're entering the park. And maybe, uh, let's say there's 20 main attractions. Ideally, there'd be more, but maybe opening day, there's 20. And one out of every 20 of those letters says, meet me at this location. So that immediately, you know, minimizes some of that. And you could also have different areas of the attraction. You know, if there's the main entrance to the actual ride is over here on the opposite side where nobody's going to be waiting in line, it says, meet Mario over here or whatever. (laughs) Mario will say, meet me by the blue glowing rock at this attraction. And you're like, oh, blue glowing rock. Look, it's over there on the opposite side. That kind of thing. We could, we could try to squeeze something out of it. The last time we went to uh, Universal Studios, you we went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and my daughter was lucky enough to be picked for the Ollivander show, where uh, where she is given three different wands, and the first two aren't good, and then the third one is a Goldilocks wand, which is perfect, and there's a big light that goes down from the and, and illuminates her, and the wind blows all over the place, and then the fake Ollivander gives her the wand and says, this is the wand for you! And then they escort her into the, the next room, and that's when they're uh, she was told, so this wand is not free. This wand costs $50. You didn't actually win this wand. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, there, we got to be breaking these kids' hearts all over the place. <laughs> oh, so many of the Mario games are about like winning and achieving high scores and points. How are you going to be able to create that sense of victory and accomplishment without actually giving things away? Because if you start giving things away, even if it's just like a T-shirt or a pencil even, mm-hmm. but uh, so long as you get in the ride and in line, someone gets a pencil every time, you're going to be running out of pencils and people are going to be going in line just to get the pencils. Right. We want to in- make this an enjoyable experience that has maybe some game elements to it, some gamification, but not make it so that you're just... Uh, kind of grinding to get those those goodies. So what I was thinking maybe is, uh, depending on your, there's, so this is a concept that's underused that I think is really fascinating. And I actually don't know of any situation where this is used, but anyway, it's something I love. Maybe there is a certain item that you can only even have available for you to buy if you've completed certain criteria. So you have to have three of the Tanuki suit card um, and if you can show those to the people at the shop, they'll show you, here's the you know Tanuki suit uh, helmet or whatever mask you can buy, or just this plush that's limited edition only to people who have completed these things. Um, and I realize with the internet, word's going to get out pretty quickly. Um, you know, if, if you say this item, literally no one's ever seen it before, but then the moment the first person buys one, they're going to go post about it and say, hey, look, I got this. All I had to do was get three Tanuki suits. And then the next day, all the lines where you can get Tanuki suits are busier. Um, but something I've seen that was really fascinating at Gen Con, the, the people who make, um, 
a game called Exploding Kittens. They always have this incredible booth, and I'm sure they do this at other oh, gaming yeah. conventions. Yeah, so yeah, I've seen that booth. If people haven't seen it, it's like a, a small room, basically. From the outside, it looks like a, the big cat uh, mascot character. And basically, there's a little cut away thing, like a little thing you can reach your hand inside of, but you can't see inside of. Um, and I believe you put in money. Does that sound right? You hand money through, and they take that, and then they hand you something. They, they reach out and give you something in your hand. And so you don't know what it's going to be. Sometimes it's just various types of produce. Sometimes it's a free game. Sometimes it's something really bizarre. Um, but it's it's just a magical thing, and people will stand there like all day just watching to see what else comes out. Um, and it's it's really great. Oh, now I remember how it works. You select something. I think you move a knob to say what you're trying to buy. Like you choose which of these items you want to get. Um, you can do like a random, you know, mystery item. You can do this game or maybe their more deluxe game. You choose which one you want with the lever. They take the money and then you get, you know, the item that you're paying for plus some random thing. Or if you just pick the random thing option, you obviously just get the random thing. So that might be a way we could avoid it from becoming something that's that's overblown and you know everyone's talking about it on the playground and the word gets out really quickly is have it be a little bit more whimsical than that. Whimsy aside, it could technically be gambling if mm. you if you need to uh do some accomplishment and then you get a reward for it. Yeah. That's, that's... They banned pinball machines for decades because it was considered gambling. Right. That's an interesting thing i mean pinball machines are obviously back um but this is a theme park that's supposedly family friendly hmm how interesting what if it's well, just you could dave and busters it you, Ooh, yeah. you win tickets or points and then you can redeem those mm-hmm. and you're they're so there's so little value in them it's almost considered worthless right <laughs> don't tell the kids because the kids think that they're in a gold mine if they have 120 credits it's great and i always love being at arcades or any kind of place like that where you see the kids um banding together and like going for like they're like i don't really like this game but it gives out those tickets and i'm gonna work my butt off trying to get the high score it's just really great seeing them put their nose to the grindstone to to you know try to Try to, they're like, I got mouths to feed. I need that, that little, you know, whoopee cushion. <laughs> it's so funny. Or you see like the PS4 for 100,000 tickets and like, <laughs> wait, okay, wait, I'm going to do the math on this. Because if it's normally like, what, what, 300 bucks without a pack-in game? And then how, if I grinded here for like nine hours, would I be able to get that? How many hours of grinding would it take? And you have to spend like, you know, $1,000 to get, possibly get that many tickets. Unless you're a total but ace. Possibly it's only $250, in which case the, the grinding is only an hourly rate that you need to, to add <laughs> on to, to figure out if it's truly worth it. That'd be really funny if there's like, uh, kind of like pool sharks or there's like, you know, ringers. There's people who are so good at this game. They're like, hey kid, what, what are you trying to get over there? You know, I can... I guarantee you I'll save you $5 off the MSRP. <laughs> <laughs> we could also do a uh, kind of gotchapon uh, randomized like gumball machine option where, you know, you, you get your your Mario coins. You know, if you, if you complete this objective and maybe you have 100 virtual coins, they give you a physical token that you can go put in the machine. And that's where you get your really interesting merchandise. That kind of gets that exploding kitten's uh variety maybe we just have a bunch of random things packaged in these little containers you can't see through but if you've earned this you know this currency then we'll exchange it for a pretty unique item hmm there's also i like the idea of collecting story vignettes like a lot of times when you complete a level you'll get a short little cutscene, and maybe those are something that could be distributed you know we have a a printout like a you know physical paper version and as you go through you're kind of building your story out of these different scraps of a book like torn out pages or something and uh by the time you leave you know maybe you have three different pages of of little story vignettes you experienced and you can put those together in your scrapbook oh you wouldn't even need the the paper Mm -hmm. if you had a a wristband or something like that that was if you had a wristband that was tracking your your information, it would know which rides you went on, and it could give you credit for each time you went through the ride. And if you saw everything in the park, you would unlock some some special bonus, like you said, like this is a T-shirt that you can only buy, or a pin, or something like that. Yeah, that would definitely work. 
Um, in in order to make to make it as fun as possible without it being grindy, like we said, where you're just breakneck trying to get through every single attraction within you know two days. Maybe it's a little simpler than that, where it's just based on how many times you've been to the park. You kind of get access to different things. Um, just because, you know, you want the experience of if you're only going to get to go to this park once, which theme parks are expensive. Like, I totally get that. If the family gets to afford, you know, save enough money to go to this place once every five years for one day, you don't want the kid to be, you know, ripped off and not feel like they got anything. But it'd be really cool uh, to have those those experience available for people who are going to, you know, be spending more time in the park and get to explore all of it. So, I don't know, maybe treating the people who are one-day park guests a little bit differently. Um, not saying that they should be <laughs> segregated or something, but I mean, give them the one-day experience. Whereas if you're going to be there for six days in a row, maybe give them a slightly different experience or a different pace, so to speak. We haven't talked about restaurants yet. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. What are your thoughts there? Off the top of my head, the the main food has got to be Italian. Yes, it's got to be pizza and and chicken parm sandwiches and and stuff like that. And it'll be surprisingly good. And everyone from the like the tri-state area in New York <laughs> is going to grudgingly say, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's better than Olive Garden. I mean, you know, it's not it's not New York, but it's it's good. It's good." Uh, Toad could have a vegetarian restaurant because technically he's a mushroom, and that's that's all that they're serving there. That's great. No, I like that. And and mushrooms are a delicacy. There's all kinds of cool things you can do with mushroom, including a ton of Italian food. So yeah, I like that. Toad's Mushroom Kingdom Restaurant, something like that. There's a better name out there. Someone's thinking of it right now. Uh, Bowser would have like the the steakhouse. Uh, Princess Peach would have like the the ice cream place, the desserts. Oh yeah. Oh, that's fun. I could see her little parasol being uh, kind of the icon for here's all the restaurant stations. You know, if you look at the map, you see where the little parasols are. Those are the, the ice cream stands, which have the actual parasol overhead to keep the ice cream cold. The main part of this park uh, should largely be about the exploration and just visiting all these, you know, wild different lands and seeing the different enemies pop up. One experience I think would be really cool is is sort of an homage to the two-dimensional games. Um, maybe taking some inspiration from Super Mario Odyssey, where there are sections where you'll turn into a two-dimensional character um, and kind of move around the wall. Um, so it could be cool to have some kind of experience that's a representation of 2D. And I've got a couple different ideas for this. We were saying earlier that you can only kind of go from left to right. Let me try to paint a picture here. Let's say there's a walkway from the central flagpole to, I don't know, a specific location. And on this walkway, uh, on the left and on the right kind of wall, there is a thin little narrow passage. And if you go through it, it's an obstacle course that's purely uh, maybe... I don't know, three feet wide and just really, really long. So everyone else who's just walking down the middle of this walkway is looking over at you as you're, you know, trying to jump over this pit or you're trying to like go through this pipe to come out on the other side. So it's almost like a a play place type of thing at, at, you know, McDonald's or whatever. If it was totally squished so that the whole thing was only one tube wide. uh, Oh, that's great. I I think it'd be fun. And, And you're going down, you know, forward, to you but to everyone walking by you're going from left to right and then uh as you're walking back towards the central flagpole they have the same thing on the other side maybe a different version of that but everyone's going from left to right there as well just like kind of how like traffic you know goes opposite directions but it's always kind of driving on the right side of the road or whatever oh how about this in in a way to control crowd management and to uh, double the the size of the park, you you take the utilidor idea from Disneyland and you have a whole underground world. Wow! So you have like an underground restaurant, you have an underground store, you have underground rides, and there's subway connections to all of the other parts of the park, all subterranean. That's awesome! I really like that. Uh, and even to go you know, sort of 
one step beyond that. So if there's the the kind of underground world, or um, I forget what those levels are usually called, where they've got the more menacing music and um, yeah, underground, that, underground. So that could be subterranean, um, and then the main floor, like the the standard ground level, um, could actually be inside. And then on top of that, there's kind of the cloud area, and it wouldn't necessarily need to be quite as big as the rest of them. But that was always a cool thing I thought in those games. If you could, you know, if once you get familiar with the games, you can find some certain areas where you can jump up really high or climb up really high up a little beanstalk and end up in the clouds in these kind of interesting little areas. So that could be kind of maybe an Easter egg or something like that, but you could have an area that's up above the ground level. To, as another way of exploring around and getting from point A to point B in this kind of, you know, fancier, more exclusive kind of way, maybe. Like a Soarin' ride. Yeah. Oh, wow. That'd be awesome if it was an, a ride, like a ride attraction. And you could even have the uh, the music note blocks in that way, you know, where you've got your, your Soarin' roller coaster kind of flies over them, representing you bouncing your feet on these little music notes. Oh, yeah, dude, you could even do it so that there's uh, like an infrared sensor detecting how far down everyone's feet are hanging off this roller coaster. And if you kind of stretch your feet out, it'll actually make the music notes. So like if you tap your feet really quick, you'll hear a bunch of music notes. Oh, that's a cute attraction. I love that. <laughs> I'm I'm getting very bummed that this does not actually <laughs> <Right>. exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a sad thing. Um, but the good news is the the potential of the human mind is limitless. And if you want to go to this theme park, go there in your mind. You can add your own attractions to it. You know, this isn't Snow White, right? It's more like a theme park. You can always make it better. You can always add on to it. Man, what a what a cool experience this is, though. And it's going to be real for real. In six months, Super Nintendo Land opens up in Japan, and in the following year, it'll open up in uh, somewhere either in in Orlando or in Anaheim, wherever the, wherever the California one is. And, and we'll, we'll see what they did, what the actual experts did in, in taking the Mario ideas and Nintendo IP and turning them into their own rides. And the benefit that we have over them is that this is the blue sky design phase where we can do whatever the heck we want to those people have to actually make it real and safe and uh, be able to turn a profit and fit it within the existing footprint. And they have all of these limitations of reality, which can lead to their own you know, creative challenge, which can be a really stimulating thing as a designer. But um, for us, the only limitation is our imagination, which can be kind of tiring or kind of difficult sometimes. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully there's some really interesting things that have evolved from trying to depict this all in a real-life theme park, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they what they have. But hey, if they don't reach our levels of craziness, that's okay, right? This is their job. They're, uh, they're kind of used to that, where it's like, I had this amazing vision, but, you know, reality. That happens with every project. I'm sure someone wrote F-Zero 300-mile-an-hour ride <laughs> on a whiteboard, <laughs> and then someone crossed it out and said, that is not safe. Right, that's going to be a VR attraction or maybe a new a new game in the future. Um, but yeah, that's the beauty of Nintendo too, is that any of these really cool ideas, they can just make it into a video game. You can do almost anything in a video game. can be hard to translate that to reality though. But Jeff Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. I know, uh, this was a, an ambitious topic, even though as you know, we tried to limit it to just Mario stuff, but that's its own universe. It's a gigantic amount of work. I was a little worried at first that we wouldn't have enough to talk about, that we'd have to go into Zelda or Metroid or something Mm -hmm. like that. (laughs) That didn't quite happen, right? There's so much to fit in here, yeah. If the audience likes you, Jeff, they want to check out your books or, or hear more about what you got going on, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Jeff underscore underscore Ryan on Twitter. Uh, I have audible versions of both my books, Mouths Divided and Super Mario. They're on Amazon. There's eBooks and Kindles. Uh, some of them are in your local library. If you don't have the scratch right now to spend, you know, twenty twenty five bucks on a book, uh, if you're interested in it, read up. I'd I'd love to hear from you. And may I also say, as a huge fan and supporter of of your local library, my local library at least, it's always great to go there and request a book that they don't have because. You never know how many dozens or hundreds of pairs of eyes are going to read across that spine and say, wow, that sounds interesting. 
I never would have asked for that or typed it into the search bar, but wow, a mouse divided or, you know, wow, a book about Super Mario and how Nintendo took over America. I would read the heck out of that. So you never know who's going to read it after you request it. So I always suggest to people, if you love something, go go to every single library in your area and ask for it. Uh, not only does it mean sales for the, the author, but it also means it's going to be put in front of a lot more people. So share the love, right? It's uh, Social media isn't just a digital thing. You can share your media socially, especially in a place like a library. But yeah, Jeff, thank you so much for being on. Thank you to the listener for, for being there. And uh, hopefully this this podcast can be like Walt was talking about in Snow White versus the Theme Park, something that evolves and grows and gets better with age. So uh, yeah, feel free to, to join in on the, the creative side of everything. Amusement Sparks can be found on Twitter at Amusement Sparks and on Instagram at Amusement Sparks, which I am going to start using a lot more. We also have our own subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash amusement sparks so hopefully we can work together as a community and come up with more awesome ideas going into the future thanks for listening